I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Nick Chromitis, founder and CEO of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a talent and recruiting solution provider using technology and influencer networks to develop and deliver the best talent that you need, especially for high-growth companies. They've worked with G2 Crowd. You know, Ryan Bonici has been on the show, as well as Dollar Shave Club and other types of companies in those, in those spectrums. They also work with big companies. And so today we talk about talent, what these companies are looking for, how he works with larger companies and kind of the risk and, and things that larger companies need to be thinking about if they want to attract and retain the best talent. And then we also talk a, quite a bit about um, his background, being a tennis coach and a tennis player in college and what that's taught him in terms of leading others and coaching others to be excellent employees and talent within their own right. I hope you enjoy this show with Nick. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be around. I'm excited to talk about Hunt Club. Maybe we should start with uh, what is it? What is Hunt Club? Yeah. So Hunt Club is a new category of talent company. So you know, what we really, really do that's different is we've um, we spent the last couple of years building out a, a large network of well-connected people. We call them influencers and we build proprietary technology that allows them to refer great people from their network for our customers open positions. So think of if we're doing a CMO search, we have 
thousands of VPs of marketing, CMOs, connectors, founders, investors, all referring for our customers open roles. Nice. And how'd you find your way to founding Hunt Club? Yeah, it's it's a strange path of multiple twists and turns. So, you know, recruiting, funny enough, was always, I always felt it was part of my DNA. I played um, college sports. So I played tennis at Vanderbilt University and always took pride in trying to get people to come on official visits and get them to join our team. And and then my first job after school, actually, I was the, uh, one of the assistant coaches at Northwestern University for their women's team. And and so it was always a big part of my DNA of, of, of trying to attract and retain talent and doing it in different in different forums from sports to, to now business. So it was kind of um, you know an interesting starting point. But the idea for Hunt Club really came, you know, I'd built a different business called New Coast Ventures, which is a hybrid venture studio where we invest and start uh, different tech startups. And, you know, really the idea for Hunt Club came, I kept referring people in 2014 directly to executive recruiters. They'd see who I was connected to on LinkedIn and say, Nick, would you mind introducing me to, you know, so-and-so? I'd make the introduction. And then lo and behold, 90 days later, I'd get an email from the person I introduced saying, you know, I have a new job now. Thank you so much. And and funny enough, I may have never considered it had it not come from you. So yeah, it, uh, it had a bunch of times and it got to a point where, you know, I sort of felt like I was, I was doing some of these guys and gals jobs. So thought myself, well, if, if if that's how the marketplace works today, maybe we could build a little bit better model. And so started studying all the best firms and Spencer Stewart's, Egon Zenders, Corn Ferries, DHRs, and just found out that the best recruiters really build and cultivate a network and they call on that network when they have an opportunity. And, you know, a lot of how they get great talent is through surfing a network. We thought we could do that kind of on steroids at scale using using the networks of people that have been there and done that in each function. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, you meant, you mentioned coaching tennis yeah. and going from coaching tennis into venture work and now, you know, running Hunt Club as one of the, I guess, spinouts of New Coast Ventures. Playing and coaching are two different things. So, what did you learn from playing and coaching tennis and and does it apply to coaching your own employees whether that's at or coaching entrepreneurs, which I know you also do, yeah. you know, what did you learn and, and how do you apply it? Yeah. So the most interesting thing about playing tennis is if you, if you sign up for a tournament of 128 people or 64 people, whatever it is, only one person can actually win the tournament. So what that means <laughs> is you have 120, you know, however many people that, uh, that are actually are 63 in a 64 person draw that actually have lost at some point. So I think, you know, the number one lesson that I learned from playing is, is really just trying to get better every single day at something coming back and working on a new, a new shot or a new stroke or a new strategy or, or a new, a new something trying to get mentally tougher, just because when you play a tournament, there's only going to be one person that actually wins and you have to come back the next week and play the next tournament. So I think as a player, it's a great foundational lesson in, in, as far as being an entrepreneur now to know that you know every day isn't going to be close to perfect you're probably going to lose more days than you win but but you keep honing and perfecting your craft and and you come back every day and continue to do it hmm. yeah that's a great lesson especially as an entrepreneur i mean the number of times you get told no right in a given day it's uh can be disheartening if you don't have that kind of growth mindset that you're describing so, i mean it's it's being told no it's being told your idea is stupid it's being told that you know <laughs> 
this will never work. It's customers being elated with you. It's customers being upset with you. It's, um, you know, yeah. a product or a piece of technology breaking that's out of your control. It's just, you have to be okay with kind of going through and, and taking the lumps over and over again, which, you know, I lost a ton in my career in tennis. So hopefully I'm, I'm qualified to do this now from, from all the losing. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great way to yeah. look at it. Well, Let's talk a little bit more about the recruitment model. You mentioned influencers within the network and that you're doing this at a, a much greater scale, but you're you're basically powering fast growth companies like G2 Crowd, which we've had Ryan, the CMO there on, and as well as Dollar Shave Club. Tell us a little bit more about how how this model works, you know, and I think through the description we'll kind of probably understand how it's different from the traditional headhunting and search firm approach. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think starting off, we really operate on one core premise, which is the best talent lives in our network. And it's our job to use technology to, to power that. So the way that it works is when you sign up as an influencer or a user of our community, you actually drop your network in via either an Excel spreadsheet import from your LinkedIn contacts or um, from, a, from a Google integration where we actually look at a number of the different connections you have. And what we do next is we actually build a bunch of technology that gets smarter in real time, but essentially does a bunch of machine learning that allows us to understand the strength of that relationship. So said differently, when Alan joins Hunt Club, he drops his network in. We look at his network and build almost like a a relationship map and a strength score across every single person he's connected to. And then we've got a really good idea of understanding the social index of who you might be close with, who you probably haven't talked to in a couple of years, or who... May is just a distant connection that you've emailed once or twice with or you connected on LinkedIn. And so we really look at, you know, around 20 plus variables to make those judgments. So, you know, how tenured you are in your career, what types of companies you've worked for, what function you've worked in, what cities you've lived in, what schools you went to. And so really, it's a, it's a pretty intelligent score that allows us to really map the strength of those relationships. So what happens next is when we get a a VP of marketing position for Dollar Shave Club or a CMO role for G2 Crowd, we actually go into our network and our platform and our database automatically comes up with the 50 to 100 best folks that might be an incredible fit for that position and then sees who's connected to them. So if we wanted to recruit Ryan Benici to um, G2 Crowd as their CMO, we may say, you know, Alan, looks like you're connected to him. We serve that directly to you in email and, and you have the option to say, you know, Ryan actually looks like a great fit for the role feel free to reach out on my behalf and CC me or no, Ryan's actually not a great fit. You know, I don't think he's going to move from Boston to Chicago. So don't reach out to him on my behalf. And so we really give the power of, of curating from people's networks to our influencers. Hmm. Right. Well, and you're, you're rewarding those folks that are referring yeah. people as well, right? What, versus I guess how you described it earlier, where you were, you were helping all these people out, including the recruiters and there's kind of, no benefit other than social benefit of helping. Yeah. Them. Yeah. So it's, it's funny. So we financially incentivize our influencers as well. So you make a hundred to 300 bucks for any referral that gets a actual interview and then two to five grand for any referral that actually gets the job. And I think the, you know, the funny thing is almost all of our influencers don't really actually care about the money. Right. Which is, which is, <laughs> which is a funny paradigm that it's, it's, they care more about connecting the dots and helping their network and, and, you know, a couple hundred bucks for, for helping connect the dots on something or a couple grand is almost like the cherry on top. They get which much more rewarding value out of really helping someone great in their network find the next thing that they're excited about. Right. It's kind of like a, a 
cookie machine, right? I'll explain what I mean by this. But like, if I've uploaded my network, and you make this intelligent match, right, to say that we think this is somebody that might be interested in this position or a good fit. And you already know my degree of my relationship based on the scoring methodology. And then you just serve it up to me. It's a really nice, easy way to maintain my network and connections. And you just made it easy. Yeah, I think that's what we're trying to do. Because if you think of really two things, Alan, the first is you're busy, like you've got a ton going on. And it's, it's really hard for you to kind of automatically think through who in your network might be a great fit for certain things because you're well connected and, and you've got a lot of things going on in your life on a daily basis. So we really, if you think about really what we're trying to do, it's automate value for our influencers in, in the way that we think is the, the most powerful, which is helping connect your, your network to opportunity. And so it's over time, hopefully we can get smarter and, and, and how we do that and even start offering more things and more, more ways for someone like yourself to really build value for those you care about. Cool. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about like what are the type of people that fast growing companies are hiring today? What are they looking for? Yeah. So, you know, if you think about it from a DNA perspective, the number one trait is adaptability and the ability to learn. So someone that can come into a company and and really understand the current state of the business and what what different and in marketing, especially what different channels are needed at that state. And then also someone that's adaptable once they you know, grow to the next phase of the company, knowing that kind of what got us here won't get us to the next stage. And we have to rethink you know, where our spend goes, what team and competencies we need internally, and the overall balance of you know, digital, brand, community, and, uh, and all your other kind of channels and levers. So I think you know, the number one skill set that I think marketers need to have the ability to do today and just even just folks joining high growth companies is the ability to be adaptable and learn quickly. Because, you know, a company, if you look at you know, Dollar Shave Club as an example, or even G2 Crowd, G2 Crowd one year ago, you know, had about half the headcount that they have today. One year ago, they had a marketing team of two. And now it's, you know, closer to 25 or 30. And so it's it's fascinating to know that when a specific function in an org changes that much, you know, let alone the entire org, you know, you just have to have the ability to to learn quickly and think on your feet and really build based on what's needed in the size and stage of the organization. Got it. Got it. Well, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of change. I mean, as, to as as a company evolves, like you just described, so going from you know two marketers to you know forty or whatever it might be, and as the business grows, I've seen um, a number of say direct to consumer brands as an example evolving. You know, starting off with very heavy focus on performance marketing, and then over time, you know, needing to either add some element of brand or most likely for sure, omni-channel type marketers. Do you see that as well as you're growing with a company? A hundred percent. You know, it's thinking about marketing. It's, it's just the most nebulous function right now where, where many founders or entrepreneurs that aren't marketers by trade or, or by design, you know, don't necessarily know how do you uh, actually fill these roles and understand what type of talent to need? So they, they immediately gravitate towards those that have the highest ROI, which is clearly associating somebody in performance. So knowing that when dollars go down the channel, they can have a very clear way to understand how they map and return. And, you know, the, the challenge of that is, as, as many know, is you can only pay for, for performance to a certain point where you have to start building a brand around 
you know, what it is you're building and what it is you're selling so you can have greater macro impact, create greater awareness and blend it with all your other existing channels. So I think you're seeing a lot of people think through new creative ways to drive customer growth via community, customer marketing, paid acquisition and performance marketing. And then, you know, I think as companies are mature, you're, you're starting to see companies think about how to blend that with a, with a lens to brand and a lens to, to community and, and, and many other things. So I think, you know, it's, it's in the early days, everyone knows how to, to associate a dollar in, two dollars out. But as the company grows, it's, uh, and as you kind of increase your spend in different channels, it's more difficult to do that. Nice, nice. Well, are you working with large companies? I mean, we've talked about these kind of high growth companies. Are you working with large companies too? Yeah. So we work with, you know, quite a few larger enterprises as well. You know, folks like Verizon is a, is a great customer of ours. So we work with Oath, and which is AOL and Yahoo's merger. And, you know, I think it, a lot of, a number of others that are thinking about building out digital as a competency internally. So we work on, we actually work with quite a few larger companies as well. Does the does the model or the talent have you noticed your model or the talent needed shift at all for those larger companies? Yeah, quite quite a bit. So, you know, there's a couple statistics that I think are important to note. So, private funding for venture backed companies or even just in a private equity setting is at all time high. So, what that means is that there's a lot of interesting opportunities in the world today that. Uh, that somebody can go look for, find, or access that don't look as traditional as some of the larger Fortune 1000 companies. So companies and larger organizations need to really rethink what types of things they're offering talent in the digital community. Because if you think about most businesses in today's landscape that are in the Fortune 1000, technology is a huge component to what they do, but it might not be their driving business model or their core business. So all of them are starting to think through how do they become more efficient using technology or how do they create new business models using technology or how do they unlock data and leverage that. So really, a lot of our customers are, are starting to really think through and be challenged around kind of two things. One, what is the future of our organization and how do we use technology at the intersection of everything we do? And then two, what types of people can drive that change for us? After they figure that out, then it's just about trying to attract and retain those folks. So, you know, for our model, it works uniquely well, whether it's a large company or a small company or a fast growing startup or a more, you know, institutionalized, larger enterprise, large cap enterprise. So it's really, you know, I think that the challenge for our customers becomes if you're competing with you know, tens of thousands of fast growing startups that are in the news, disrupting organizations, how do you... Uh, how do you compete for talent with some of those companies? So I think that's a bigger pain point that a lot of them have. Right. And, you know, as you start to work with companies, what are, what are some of the pain points that you hear from folks or mistakes that they've made in the hiring process before? Yeah. So, you know, I think in larger companies, one of the biggest mistakes that they make is that they don't do a great job of giving talent the ability to be autonomous in, in, in building whatever their business is or, or building whatever their function is. And what I mean by that is, you know, the reason why people join fast-growing companies and startups isn't really about being part of a, a category disruptor that's part of it. It's not really about the, the perks and the free ping pong and, and, and the keg of beer and whatever, yeah, the goldfish container. Like, those are all awesome. No, speak speak for yourself, Nick. I, I like the keg of beer. Sorry, sorry, Alan. So, so, so keg of beer is uh, universal. It works. <laughs> it works for everybody. Um, 
But it's, you know, like most of the people are joining because they don't want a ceiling on top of what they're capable of doing. So what I mean by that is it's, you know, a lot of larger companies have a very structured process around how much responsibility you have, how many direct reports you'll have, you know, when your career progresses, when the promotion schedules are. And a lot of fast growing companies don't have that. You're almost as good as, as you are can prove and what you can do. So selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, I think uh, one of the challenges that larger companies have is they have to figure out a way to, to how to cut through that, that clutter and, and create operations and an and opportunity internally that allows people to operate without a ceiling. And you're seeing this happen more and more in, in different worlds in digital where, you know, the elite Unilevers of the world are acquiring brands and letting them run as separate entities. And, and others are thinking about similar models where it's, they don't want to disrupt kind of the entrepreneurial energy that the company has by, by bringing them into a larger organization, but they want them to have the same infrastructure and, and support and leverage that, that a big company has. So I think as a big company, that's probably the biggest challenge that they have. Right. Right. Okay. Well, and I mean, so many of these companies want to be fast moving or act like fast growth companies these days. I mean, you hear like big consumer package because clients, you know, or accounts, sorry, companies, that's the word I'm looking for in the marketplace talking about, we want to be more entrepreneurial and hire these, the same type of talent, you know, like the talents going to D2C brands, for an example, or Walmart, you know, trying to attract the same type of talent as Amazon. You just described the autonomy and being able to make sure that they, you know, don't have some way to preserve that for these people. But is there anything else, you know, that you think big companies need to change? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it's predicated on, on talent and getting the right talent and then giving the right opportunity for that talent to flourish. So I think, you know, the, the, the problem with larger companies is a lot of times they're almost a, they're prohibited because they're a victim of their own success where they're playing more defense than they are truly offense, which means that you can't really enable your people to take risks. You know, I think you look at what Amazon's done over the course of the last decade where they've, you know, they've innovated, recreated different businesses, acquired different companies, gave their people a green light to take risk and fail. And I know that sounds relatively cliche, but 
the more that a company can truly do that to to let it be known and okay within a company to, to that you can start something and and try and get it off the ground with with the power and the infrastructure of that the business larger company behind you and and make a mistake and fail you know i think the more that it's going to breed the type of opportunity that you know, amazon today has but i think that's a really challenging cultural thing to um, to go against it's it's if you're Procter and Gamble and and you've got Tide as a marquee brand and two percent growth on Tide looks like a great year for them, then then it, it doesn't really look like a lot of things that are happening outside of the market where you're really pursuing 20, 30 percent growth year over year, or maybe even creating an entirely new category or new brand from scratch and escalating it. So I think you know companies need to get really comfortable with allowing their people and allowing the talent internally to take risks, not put a ceiling on them and allow them to fail. And I feel very like very few have actually jumped on board to that cultural shift. They all talk about it. You know, they all, many of them talk about it. Many of them talk about entrepreneurship being sexy and they're entrepreneurs rebuilding businesses. But I think it's really difficult to create an internal environment within a large company that has one, the natural inception of an entrepreneur pursuing something they're passionate about and two, the do not fail at all costs mentality, right? If someone's uh, making $200,000 plus in a base salary, has a great 401k, has amazing benefits, you know, and all these things fully loaded and is working nine to five, you know, I'll, I'll bet on the person that, that has to have this work for their family to, you know, to pay rent next year, pay their mortgage next year, all day, every day against someone that's, that's, uh, that's doing you know, it within a big company. Right, right. Well, and it's to your to your point. It may sound cliche, but I think the managing risk and failure, and that's that's huge, especially in these big uh, publicly traded companies. There, you know, failure is not rewarded by the markets, <laughs> but in the VC and you know private you know private funding spaces, failure is part of the process. So, just completely different cultural environments, but. I was wondering, I mean, there's a lot of folks that are probably listening to this that fit the bucket of they're the talent, right? What are your ideas for helping them stand out to these fast growth or, or new positions at big companies that are intended to be more fast growth oriented? Yeah. So for talent that's looking for these types of opportunities and really wants to jump off the page, you know, I think I love the idea of a give first mentality. So there's this classic story about you know, Ryan Graves, who who was one of the original founders and ran ran Uber, he was he was looking for a job at Foursquare and apparently an interviewed or or was was talking to them and didn't get it or or was in the middle of a process. And so what he did was he went out and sold a bunch of customers to get on the platform on the business side before he even started working for the company. And you know, granted that has its own risks, but I think people especially in fast growing companies are looking for somebody that proves that they can get stuff done and, uh, and can jump off the page. So I think the more that if you're, if you're looking to join a fast growing entrepreneurial environment and you have relationships that you can leverage and, and actually introduce those to the company, you know, help them and consult for free in certain areas that they need some help with that maybe they don't have the dollars to pay you right now. You know, really thinking about a give first mentality, the more I think, you'll find the world opening up from an opportunity perspective because, you know, one, anybody that can show material value to a fast growing company or, an, or a venture back company is, uh, is going to stand out dramatically. 
because there's a lot of people that want to help that actually aren't you know, getting into the weeds and, and, and driving value. And I think the second is it's going to de-risk it for them. They know who you are. They know what you've already done. And they can imagine what you can do if you're in a full-time capacity. So I, I love the idea of giving first and just kind of hustling different angles to provide value for our company. Love it. Love it. Well, that's great advice. Well, one of the things I love to do about with folks that come on the show is get to know them as people as well. So I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you my favorite question, which is what experience of your past defines or makes up who you are today? Yeah, it's great. That's a great question. So, I mean, you know, I think it, I hate to jump back to the tennis analogy, but you know, I played junior tennis. I would miss 50 to 60 days of high school every single year to go travel the country and travel internationally to play tournaments. You know, I'd be 12, 13 years old, hopping on a plane with, with no one with me and, and uh, just meeting a coach in, you know, Oklahoma or California or, or even out of the country. And, and I think you grow up a lot when, when you do that, you grow up a lot when you're, when you're traveling the world or traveling the country by yourself and, and forced to, to you know, take care of yourself, get to the court, warm up, you know, stretch, hydrate, and then go compete with, you know, no one watching you. It's, uh, and finding kind of that self internal fortitude that to, to try and win when you're really out there kind of just doing it yourself. So I think, you know, I think one of the most defining things for, for me as a, as a person and a professional today, and, and, and kind of, I think has a lot of correlation to what we're trying to do today is just, uh, just playing competitive sports growing up. And then, you know, I think playing in college was really an eye-opening experience because you took a very individualized sport, which is tennis, and then made it about a team. And I think, you know, I really was able to kind of find my best self through that period where, you know, I drew a ton of power and strength from from trying to win for others rather than just myself. And and I love the experience. That's great. That's great. And, uh, you know, finding that, it sounds like you know, the thing you've you're finding even now, right, is this internal fortitude, like you said, to to go out and compete every day, whether somebody's watching or not. Something in you seems to be driving you forward. Is that right? Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's just the perpetual pursuit of getting better every day. It's, you know, like it, people glamorize entrepreneurship. People glamorize building companies. We talk about it in the press all the time. They're almost entrepreneurs to some degree, I feel like, are becoming you know, the next wave of tech entrepreneurs only are like celebrities, right? And it's, it's, I don't know if I agree with that. Like it's the most brutally difficult thing to do. You're starting from things from scratch. You're working tirelessly day in, day out. It's you're beg, barring and stealing your way to any ounce of traction you can get. You're, you're selling a vision to get your first employee to join you're selling a vision to get someone to write you a check so you can hire more employees. You're asking customers to trust you when there's no really reason to. So it's, you know, I think you have to be hardwired a certain way. And for, for me, I think the ability to play a sport, see a vision of what I wanted to be, and then work really tirelessly to try and get there allowed me to, to at least be okay with some of the ups and downs. And I think for my peer class, those that have those have some sort of, you know, if I'm thinking about a correlation between those that I've been seeing massively successful versus those that are that are building something just to be to, to play entrepreneur to some degree. I think those that have really loved and been passionate about solving a problem and have came from a DNA of where they've had to overcome adversity throughout different areas of their career, whether it's sports or life, whether it's sports or family issues or 
you know, work at a job when you're young to help, help make ends meet. Like those are the folks that I feel like have always been on a path to be really successful in this space. Cause it can't come from the glamor. It's got to come from loving what you do every day and trying to get better. Right. Right. Well, is that, I mean, one of the questions I always like to ask is what drives you. It sounds like that maybe is your drive. Is that, is that right? Or would you, would you say something else drives you every day to do it? Yeah, I think it's, you know, for me, what I found at a young age was I'm actually pretty lazy. So for me, and I've started a bunch of businesses and and some of them haven't worked out well, others have worked okay. But the thing that actually that I find drives me is, is wanting to build an incredible place for a team to, you know, really build themselves into a, into a business, into an opportunity, a career where they don't have a ceiling on top of them. So it's, you know, I, I draw a lot of energy and I'll draw a lot of passion for making this incredible place to work for our team and making sure that they have a great opportunity to get better every day. And, and in return, our business gets better every day. So I think for me, it's about, it's about building this for, for others around us so that we can continue to, you know, they can have opportunities that are, that are more difficult to find in the, in the traditional market and, and be the best versions of themselves. That's awesome. What advice would you give your younger self if you were doing this again? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one because it's, it's a, almost a double-edged sword. So I always think about not, do not take things as seriously. Know that this isn't the end of the world when something doesn't work out. Take care of yourself. I think the double-edged sword is, I think, a lot of the reason why our business has been able to get off the ground and, and in running at a decent clip is because of all the energy and all the emotions I had towards things not working or or areas. But I think it's just, you know, I really, I think the number one thing I would tell myself is this is a long game. You know, it's multiple decades worth of relationships. Put every single one of those first and foremost. And regardless if it's at your own detriment, because, you know, I think what I found today with some of our customers and some of our advisors and some of our investors, the reason why they're supporting us today is because we made a long-term investment years ago to, to really build a relationship. So I think treat every relationship equally and, and do the right thing. And I think great things come down the road. Right. Well, I think, you know, that I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs through this, but also just in general out in the world. And I think a lot of people think of them as naturally risky people. And there's a degree to that, but most of them are the successful ones in particular, I think, continuously try to figure out how to do this in a less risky way, right? And it's that that nagging thing like, I don't want to fail or I'm taking the, I'm taking this very seriously to, to the inverse of what you, you just described, right? That sometimes that anxiety, I think, leads to better success because you're really thinking through the problem. So anyway, for what it's worth. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, mean, I think the other thing is the interesting thing about as you grow a company is, and I think what creates some of that anxiety is it's very much, you know, your business to some degree is very much your personal brand. And there's a really good merger between those two things so that when you're selling a product or a service online or to someone or putting your stamp upon something and someone's willing to give you money to invest in your business or try your product or service, you know, it's almost like they're buying you to some degree. So I think that fuels kind of that anxiety that you talked about where it's, where it's got to be, you know, delivered the right way and it's got to be the, the right product or service and the right value and the right communication. I think a lot of entrepreneurs then struggle with that in the next phase of their company where 
you know, they can detach their own identity from what they're doing and let it take its own self and, and grow and, and, and not, you know, not sweat every single, every single detail in order to scale. So, yeah. Well, two more questions for you. You know, are there brands, companies, or causes that you're following or you think other people should be taking notice of? Yeah. I mean, I, I love a lot of the fast growing back venture, you know, category disruptors. So I think a lot of our customers, some of our customers were really excited and fortunate to work with. So I think like, you know, G2 Crowd, for example, I think their business is brilliant. I think, you know, the whole world buys things based on, on reviews, why that hasn't materialized in B2B yet, you know, and why, why primarily the number one way you get information on a service is through an analyst report doesn't make sense to me. So I, I love what they're doing. You know, I think their team in general is just such a great group of entrepreneurs that are so passionate about building the Midwest community and, and their business and their people that, you know, love them. You know, I think we've got a number of other interesting customers too that are doing like really creative things in the space. So I don't know if you've ever heard of a business called GoPuff, but um, really fascinating company. So they're basically putting the power of, of and the convenience of retail in, a, in your hands in a mobile app. So you can basically purchase, you know, all the things you might at a Walgreens or a 7-Eleven or, or at your local convenience store you know, right in a mobile app. So, and they, they have under 30 minute delivery for everything. So our, our whole office uses it and we love it. And we, um, you know, we make sure everyone's fueled up with, with good snacks. And then of course the occasional, uh, occasional beer as well. So <laughs> that's a great one. I got to check them out for sure. Well, last question for you. What do you, what do you feel like the future of marketing is going to look like? Yeah. I, you know, I think it looks a lot like we're heading today where it's, you know, an omni-channel blend of so many different things in order for, for you to really break out and create notice. And I think, you know, really the number one thing, because as you and I know, the world is so saturated today with products and services and people talking about how great, great what they're doing is. So I think, you know, to me, the number one thing that I think is going to be that is going to be built out over the course of the next couple of years is, is really empowering the customer voice authentically. So how do you continue to turn your customers and your your largest brand ambassadors into almost your online platform or your platform for for awareness and acquiring new relationships? And I think the more that people can think about doing that and really authentically leveraging their, their customer's voice to to tell their story and doing it in a way that allows them to scale, I think is going to be a huge part of, of what the future looks like and, and help cut through the noise. That's awesome. Well, Nick, thanks so much for coming on the show today. No, I appreciate it. It was great, great hanging out with you and appreciate you having me. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.